and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay, here with Father Howard, and on today's episode we are discussing the first part of the Christmas season. So let's get started. Hey Lindsay, uh, again it's always good to be able to uh, gather together and just to reflect a little bit about uh, these significant times, and, and one of those is is the Christmas season. I, I mean, a whole season, not just one day. Exactly, a whole season. It's it's similar to, in many ways, Easter. That Easter is is not just one day. It literally is fifty days of celebrating, such as the significance. And in a very similar way, when you have Christmas, it is uh, a multiple weeks of celebrating. Uh, that you have a whole season that, and in this season are significant days that celebrate the, the martyrdom of Stephen or the, the holy innocence, uh, the brutal murder of, of, of children by Herod. Happy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Real happy. So what's, and, and isn't that interesting, though, that when you start to look at this, that you have this beautiful, beautiful celebration of Christmas. Happy, happy, joy, joy, babies and, and presents and all sorts of marvelous things like that. And what follows it immediately is the martyrdom of St- Stephen. Is that the 26th? And that is the 26th. That is correct. <laughs> and then two days later, you have the, the Feast of the Holy Innocents, which is the brutal... Uh, murder of children where Herod is searching for the child Jesus. Now, when when you think of it just at face value, you think, wow, what is wrong with the church? Well, don't get me started on that, but <laughs> it's, um, it's recognizing, though, that if you take seriously what we celebrate with the, the, the Feast of Christmas, just Christmas, um, that it leads us to what then happens, you know, that, that it demands of us that we change the way we live, how we love. It changed the witnesses, the witness that we give, uh, that it's because of that belief that this child was indeed the Messiah, uh, that both the divine and human nature in, in one person is that you recognize then that these people were willing to give their lives to give witness to that one. Um, in the sense of sometimes it's direct witness, like the Feast of Stephen, where he is giving witness to Jesus the Christ. And other times it is the fact that it's the effects of what happens when people don't want to hear that good news, when people don't want to believe it, when people want to change it, when people want, or I should say, when people are afraid of it, and what we are willing to do to deny or to try to get rid of it. Uh, and, and, you know, with the holy innocence, it is literally, as I mentioned, the brutal murder of children by Herod in order to try and to basically get rid of this child who was to be king. Uh, and because he was he was seen as a threat, but let's go back, you know, to let's go Easter. back to the happy part. Back to the happy part, yes. Christmas, ba- not Christmas, Easter. not Easter. That's that's correct. That we go to the feast of Easter. Christmas. <laughs> we go to the feast of Christmas. 
<laughs> of Christmas. Don't don't skip like five months. Right. And we recognize that it is it is only it is only second to Easter, only second to Easter. It a lot of times gets greater billing because of the um, presence. Yeah, civil. Civil secular. rituals and all secular yeah, yeah. thing all around culture that that's all around it. But when you really think about what we are celebrating, it recognizes that this God that we believe in, the divine God that that created it all, the God that brought the people out of Egypt out of slavery. The God that, that promised them that he would be their God and they would be his people no matter what they wanted. The God that did everything that, that God possibly could do to bring this people along and to help them understand what it meant to be chosen. That this God became one of us, became Emmanuel, God in our midst, became human. That, I mean, when you, when you try to just begin to wrap your head around that, you, you realize that if, if someone truly believes that, your lives never could possibly be the same. In contrast to uh, the whole secular, civil things that go around it, we love putting up, you know, decorations and Christmas trees and all of that stuff and yet we can't wait to get rid of all of that stuff so it can go back to normal. And, and I shared with you uh, a while back when we were talking a little bit about this that when I was in Kenosha, on Christmas Day, I would be finished in the parish after our last Mass. I'd be leaving the church around 3 o'clock after we got everything all wrapped up, cleaned up, everything like that. And from 39th Avenue to... Uh, 14th Avenue is that you would it was through neighborhoods and you would see all of the Christmas trees that were already on the curb for the garbage pickup the next day. We love to put it up. It's sparkly. It's nice, but we can't wait to, wait to get rid of it. And yet with Christmas, it is so opposite of that that we if we embrace again what we celebrate and what we say we celebrate we can never go back to normal ever again. There is going to be a new normal. Each and every single year there will be a new normal because we are not at the same place in our lives, in our work, with our families, whatever it might be, <clears throat> that each time we, we go through this cycle and we are reminded once again of who this child is, we have to embrace him all over again and who he grew up to be his life suffering death and resurrection that as we embrace all of that is that we recognize it can never go back to normal you can throw out christmas trees you can throw out wrapping you can throw out tinsel and ornaments um, but you can't in a sense throw out your faith because that goes to the very core of who you are. And so this, this Christmas time, it's not just a day. It's a season 
And that season consists of so many things. Uh, just a, a little history in the sense that Christmas was you know, not always on the 25th, although there was a time when there were some people who believed that uh, that Jesus was actually born on the 25th <laughs> and that Midnight Mass took on a significance because it was believed that um, Jesus was born at midnight on the morning of the 25th. Um, there is no uh, historical evidence of that whatsoever. Is that Christmas uh, was at one time, you know, held in January. It was held in June. It was held in November. Uh, finally, it was settled uh, in to be in December on December 25th. And the theory now, or most belief is, is that uh, basically what it was, it was put on the 25th in order to counteract the Roman feast of the birthday of the sun, S-U-N. Hmm. And that, but and the church did that any number of times, would place on these uh, pagan, what we would consider pagan uh, holidays, we would place a religious uh, celebration in order to counteract, you know, the, the, the pagan rituals that they had. And we would develop our own. And now, often, if, it, if it was up to me, it would be like six months in between each. Six months, <laughs> six months Easter and then six months later is Christmas. So we... Space it out. Yeah, None I mean, of this, like, two months later is the start of the Lent. You would have to imagine, though, that God would be totally rational and logical, <laughs> which is never the case. It is not totally rational or logical, and we find those things in the... Uh, Nor are humans, so Well, that, that's true, although we want to be sometimes. <laughs> so it's, you know, so we do have this, this uh, tradition of, of the 25th. And in, in a sense, it works for us because of, you know, the... The seasons and such. Although uh, I'm not sure if it was you or, but we were talking about that on the yeah. other side of the globe. Uh -huh. Is that they're in the middle of their summer, right? And so Christmas takes on a whole different thing. But for but for us and and for those years and such where it all began, you might say it it made a lot of sense. Part of this also, as we look at this, is that uh, when we as we celebrate Christmas, is that we have borrowed all sorts of things from other religious traditions, um, pagan or, or non. Uh, for example, you know, the Christmas tree really is, is uh, out of the German pagan culture. And, you know, there are stories behind that. Lots of different things of why we do what we do and how much has grown up around this feast of Christmas, uh, whether, you know, originating in Christianity or originating someplace else and we just kind of took it over and I mean you know, there's been just, Christmas movies on TV since the end of October so well, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there have been I'm sure there have been <laughs> but as we as we mentioned before is that when it comes to Christmas is that it's it's not just the day it's it's a it's a whole string of days a, a whole season that includes some of the key ones that that it includes we had mentioned a couple of, of more minor things, you know, but the key things are is you have the celebration of Christmas itself, and then you have the Feast of the Holy Family, and that is followed by Mary, Mother of God, the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, which we celebrate on the 1st of January. That is then followed by the Epiphany, 
the Feast of the Epiphany, and that has been, a lot of times that was celebrated on the 6th of January, but that has been moved now, for us it's been moved to the Sunday. And then you have uh, the Baptism of the Lord. And then the Monday after the Baptism of the Lord begins now the ordinary time. And, and we'll talk about that, you know, a block of that uh, later on. So you have these, these major feasts that, uh, that speak in so many ways of, the, uh, of, 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 of things we celebrate that really in so many ways are, are rooted in the Christmas uh, celebration and are rooted in the, the basic tenets of the faith that are, are, are found within that, that celebration. And you cover a lot of years in those like three weekends. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because obviously in Christmas, you're talking about infancy. And by the time you get to the baptism of the Lord, you're talking about somewhere, you know, early mid thirties. Mm -hmm. So yes, you are covering a lot of space. Uh, however, what's interesting with that though, is that your key ones, for example, the uh, Christmas infancy, of course, uh, Mary, Mother of God, that's, uh, that's in, toward infancy yeah. more issue. Epiphany, uh, probably around two or three years old, uh, because when you read the scriptures, is that the scriptures say, when the Magi are spoken of, they say that when they entered the house, there is no manger, manger when it comes to the Magi. Is that by the time that they get there, we would figure, which is also why Herod had every child killed up to, I think, around three years old or so, is that you, you've now uh, had a couple of years in there. And so the scriptures say when they entered the house, as opposed to, you know, or could it just be a bad translation? Probably not. <laughs> could be. Lots of things could be, I suppose. Uh, but then you go to um, the uh, the baptism of our Lord, which uh, you know, depending upon which gospel you're reading, you know, happens really right there at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, for Mark, for example, uh, the baptism happens right at the beginning. There is no infancy stories in Mark. In Mark's gospel, that's really Matthew and Luke. So you have, uh, it does, it, it covers a real span of time. But the topics that it covers are, are terribly significant uh, when we think about the, uh, the topics that, for example, Christmas. Uh, and, and it's, again, going back to what I had said before, it's not somehow simply a, uh, a one-moment event it's that child grew up, okay, is that what we forget is that when you look at the, the manger scene, when you look at the celebration of, of the divine becoming human, when you look at all of that together, it's realizing it speaks about God's tremendous love for us and will go, you know, will we'll go through every possibility to, to show how much their love there is and how we are able to see through a human person how to live that love well. It's about when you look at the story of, of the Magi, it's about how that word is to be universal to all people, 
It's not just for the chosen people. It's about the universal message that touches people no matter where they are, um, both Christian and non. It talks about the, the, the suffering, if one truly listens you know, to the word of God, that, that, that will cost you something. It talks about and speaks to the fact that the very people who should have known were the ones who missed it, how easily we can miss it. And the people that were considered to be dumber than stumps, that were to be considered to be the, the low life on, on, on the ladder of human humanity, is that the shepherds, they were the ones who heard, in a sense, the message first. That there are so many universal messages that are spoken to and spoken of when you look at the issue of the birth of the Messiah. Then if you, you move to Holy Family, you realize that here again that how do we learn about, you know, the, um, how do we, we learn about, you know, our faith? How do we how do we come to an awareness of how God loves? Uh, I think about that when you talk about Holy Family. Uh, again, we have this this ideal picture of you know uh, you know that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and they were this ideal family, and and you know, and, and I have a very different picture in the sense that. I, I imagine, you know, uh, Jesus at two years old throwing a temper tantrum because that's what two-year-olds do. Uh, that after Jesus cleaned, you know, got cleaned up and they were going to go to visit maybe some a neighbor and, and he plops into a mud puddle someplace, you know, or steps into what camels leave behind, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. That this was a real family. We forget that. This was a real family. Clothes had to be washed, diapers had to be changed, meals had to be made, work had to be done, uh, laundry had to be cleaned. Uh, this was a real family. In the midst of all of that messiness of human families, this is where the love of God is learned about. This is where the examples of what it means to be loved unconditionally, one comes to term with that. I, and, and I've said this, you know, in different homilies and such. Nobody took, you know, this huge basting, you know, instrument and, and put it in Jesus's ear and just squished all of this divine knowledge. He had to learn these things. And he had to, and who would he have, whom and from whom would he have learned these things other than Mary and Joseph and probably the neighborhood people and the children he played with, and all of those other kinds of things. What's intriguing is, is that there are more than just the four Gospels that were ever written. You have, for example, the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of James. You have all of these other writings that, that were never accepted as part of the, the core Gospel uh, writings. And part of the reason was, is because... They painted pictures of the Holy Family that, that just were not real, that didn't add anything. For an example, is you would have Jesus winning all the games, <laughs> you know, when he played with the kids. You would have Jesus straightening out boards or whatever for his father Joseph, 
when he was building something, so they would always be perfect. It's like he's magic. Well, exactly. Exactly. This was rooted in magic and myth and legend. It was not rooted in the reality that the divine God had become human, fully human, not just in the skin of the human, not just a Superman wrapped up in a Clark Kent suit. <laughs> he was fully human. You know, the, when you talk about the incarnation. And so as a fully human person, he would have had to go through all of these things and learned all of these things just like any one of us. Um, yes, there were differences, of course. But, you know, that's pretty much, you know, he, he was, uh, you know, born without sin. Okay, we can work with that one. But he got dirty. And he probably threw a temper tantrum, and he probably cried, and they couldn't console him, and he had to have his diapers changed, and he probably did like broccoli or Brussels sprouts, which no one should like anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, so he would have had to learn these things. And so when you speak of holy family, it's realizing that in the midst of all of this, that the people we encounter, people that are far, part of our families, you know, for all sorts of reasons is that he would have had all of that at his disposal, you might say. So that when he comes to adulthood and he, he listens too well to the word of the Father, gee, where would he have gotten that from? None other than his mother, who listened to the word of the Father, and similar in many ways to her, said his yes also. Knowing that that was, that was going to cost him. After a point, you know, the man is smart enough to know this is not going to be fun and it's not going to be easy. Father, take this cup from me if it is your will. But your will, not mine. Talk about repeating in some ways what Mary said. You know, let it be done unto me according to your will. Is that he would have grown up with that. And he would have, in many ways, embraced that in how he lived and how he loved. So that, in a way, when it became his turn, that he would have had examples of what that means. Even, even with his stepfather, Joseph, you have what it means to, you know, get up, take the child to Egypt. They are trying to harm him. It's like, say what? <laughs> you know? I wasn't planning on taking a trip today. Yeah. Why would we want to? And, you know, and then they're in Egypt for a while, and they then come back. Here again, the examples of what it means to respond to the call of God, it's all there. Why would we imagine in many ways him to do anything else than to respond to that call of God in his own life? Well, and it's taking care of family, too. Absolutely. You learn that, too. I think the importance of the domestic church you can look at on yes. the Holy Family as well. And that that that, that Holy Family is, is in, in many ways, is the example of what we are to be. You know, and all of the messiness that's part of that. Mm -hmm. And I wish at times that that's part of what the gospel had included. I get why they wouldn't have. I mean, you know, as far as that goes. I, I understand that. But sometimes I wish that that would also have been included in there uh, in order to let families know that, you know, when they get to church and, and, and all they can say is, well, we got here alive <laughs> because maybe breakfast or whatever didn't go so well. 
somebody had a tantrum or a fit or, or whatever, is that we are able to say to those families, you're here. That's all that's important. You're here. And what, however you got here, disheveled or not, whether they got, you know, one green sock and one purple sock, not important. Yeah, some people do that on purpose. Well, that's true. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's helping them to understand that being a holy family does not mean being a perfect family. Mm-hmm. The two are not synonymous. You know, when I think of Mary, Jesus, and Joseph, they were not the perfect family. They were a holy family. And to me, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. And to me, there's a big difference. And what we are called to be is holy families. What all and, and everything that entails, that that entails. Um, so, you know, so you have that. And then you move to, when you think of the uh, Mary, Mother of God, a, a major solemnity that <clears throat> speaks of one giving honor to Mary, but primarily speaks first and foremost always of God's love. <laughs> what God does and is able to achieve, one, what God is willing to do in order to help us to understand. Two, what God is able to achieve when we say our yes. What God is able to help us to understand and that. You know, here again, it's that what what God achieves through human beings, just like us. That Mary, mother of God, um, that she was fully human. I think at times that's why, in many ways, uh, she is more relatable for a lot of folks uh, than Jesus is. Um, Jesus has that divine aspect, you know, fully human but fully divine. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that fully divine thing gets gets in our way. You know, uh, not that we deny it, but the fact is, is that it can get in our way. Mary wasn't divine. She was human. And, you know, we can, in a sense, recognize that, you know, she was flesh and blood in that regard, just like us would have had frustrations and and all of those things that, that moms and mothers, um, young people, uh, someone who who watches the brutal death of their of their child, um, someone who must, in a sense, get beyond that and carry on the message of the gospel, someone who realizes that you know she wasn't top billing here, you know that that it was her son, uh, truly, uh, that that you know discovering as as others would have had to discovering who he was and what he was called what he was called to do uh, how much that must have pained her you know and i suspect in any number of ways may have very well prayed at times is there another way father is there another way and yet even having said all of that to be able to say your will not mine do unto me according to your will uh, that's that's the beauty in many ways of her magnificat is that 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 prayer uh, reflection of what it means, you know, to be all of that and yet to say, not mine, your will. Uh, and Mary, Mother of God, you know, speaks of how we are called to, you know, to follow in many ways her example of not only her, but how we as church are called to be an example that 
as church in many ways, we are to birth that presence of the divine in our world. That as church, as people of God, we are called, you know, to be that presence of Christ in our world. Uh, we are called to, to be the voice of Christ, to be the hands of Jesus, to be the eyes of Jesus. You know, uh, that uh, each and every day is an opportunity for us you know, to, to bring that word, that presence anew into the world in which we live. And these celebrations help us to not only to see that, but help us to embrace that and be willing to say, I want that. I want that for myself. I want that for my family. I want that for my friends. I want that for the nation I live in. I want that for the world of which I am part. I want it for the whole world that when we are faithful to that call when, and, and when we bring that call, we, we make it real and visible and physical in the world in which we live, we, we then recognize how we are part of that whole creative process of God and how God creates anew in, in many ways each and every single day. Each and every single day. And that's a lot for seven days. That is a lot for seven days. I mean, I guess God created the earth in seven days, so hey. it's not too much. But one question. Um, so Christmas, going back to Christmas Day, mm -hmm. there's like five different sets of readings. Why are yes. there so many readings, choices? Well, it Are you supposed to go five times to church <laughs> that day? Oh, wouldn't they love that? Um, <laughs> no, not so much that. As much as it's, it's in many ways it's about telling the story. Uh, and, and telling the story through the, the different readings that, that we have of, of, of kind of capturing, you might say, that reading on the eve and of, of the night and then of the day. And then, you know, uh, it, it leads up to, it leads up to, you might say, starting with the, uh, um, with the, with the genealogy mm -hmm. and a lot of that. You have a lot of Isaiah, of course, in there. But it starts in many ways with the genealogy that shows. And this is sometimes um, where we have the options of choosing some of these. You know, mm -hmm. We don't have to use all of them. We do have some options and some things we can work with. In a way, it's nice when you do and when you hear it, if you did go to all of them, when you hear it, you get a much fuller picture. But what happens when we only go once is that you just get the genealogy and you might go, huh? Because half the names you could never pronounce. Mm -hmm. But the genealogy speaks of the fact, when you look at that whole genealogy, there are saints, there are rapists, there are thieves, there are adulterers, there are pagans, there are her heretics, there are in all of that, and in the midst of all of that mess of, of humanity, in the midst of it all, God is able to accomplish his goal. Who are we to say that God can't accomplish similar things through us? And so it speaks to us of how we play a part in all of that. It speaks to us of the promises. 
And then you move more toward the evening. And it's about the darkness. It's about traveling. It's about not having a place in the inn. It's about all of, in so many ways, all of those human worries that, that, that cause us concern. And yet, in the midst of that, you have this faithful family who says their yes to God over and over again and is able to get through it. You have midnight, which then goes, you know, into the, the birth and the experience of, 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 of the divine entering into the world and, and how it was announced to the, the, to the least. Again, to the least. Shepherds were not very highly thought of whatsoever. And so, yet it's to those very ones that the angels announce, He's here. The Savior is here. Rejoice that people who oftentimes feel they are left behind, and we see that today, people who are not treated with respect, people who are seen as less than, people who are not considered to be as important as, important as other people. Um, when you look at that today, it speaks to those people that you, you who are the lowly ones, you who are the voiceless ones, you who are the ones who are perceived as of no value, you who are the ones who be, we believe that God hates, you're the ones that this good news comes to. It speaks of a message of hope. It speaks of, you know, then, you know, the birth, and it speaks of, 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 of how it brings light to the world. So when you look at all of these readings, it really does speak of the whole story. Mm -hmm. In some ways, we do the same thing for Easter. Mm -hmm. We have, only we, we split it out differently in, as far as right. the numbers of readings and... and, and, and Though the, the Easter vigils got quite a few. That is true. But again, that speaks of the story. Mm -hmm. And so when you, you look at the whole story, you know, that, that reading of the day is... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh. Has nothing to do with babies, has nothing to do with shepherds, has nothing to do with mangers, because John, being the last gospel written, John, now this is a, a much more theological, and, and is geared much more toward the second coming. The, the, the readings on Christmas Day, the beginning, they're, they're kind of geared toward that first coming, you know, the, the baby Jesus. Mm -hmm. John's gospel is really geared toward the second coming. It is, this is who he was. This was the divine who became flesh. He was there in the beginning, and before all else was, he was there. You know, type of, 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 of theological treatise, you might mm -hmm. say. And it speaks of how we take, you might say, all of those other readings, and now this is a theological expression of it, of saying, this is what we believe, this is what we embrace, this is what we hope for, this is what we anticipate, this is why we live how we live. And, and you know, we, we are then charged to go forward. And then you jump into, oh, by the way, that might mean, like Stephen, you got to be willing to give your life. Oh, by the way, that might mean like the holy innocence. Oh, by the way, that might, you know, it's like we have this for the octave that follows the eight days that follow uh, Christmas is that in many ways similar to Easter. 
You have the eight days that follow Christmas that's saying, and here's what you're committing yourself to. Here's what you're embracing. Be prepared and prepare yourself. Because this is not going to be a cakewalk necessarily. Yikes. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's beautifully put together, you mm -hmm. know, when you think about it. In some ways, you wish that some of these readings were spread out a little bit more so that they could hear the whole thing. Yeah. Because it helps to put it together rather than just pulling out a piece. It would be like looking at a stained glass window and, and only being able to see the red parts. You don't get the whole picture. Well, all you know is that, well, this is part of a bigger you know, stained glass window, but mm -hmm. you only get the red parts. Whew. You know, in some ways, that's kind of what happens with the scriptures. You only get parts of it. Mm -hmm. So you got to come all Christmas. It'd be great. <laughs> all right. Well, next time we're going to pick up on the second half of the Christmas season. Yes. Go into a little more. So that was a lot to think about for just the first seven days of Christmas or the first octave-ish of Christmas. So digest it for a little bit. Sit with it. Listen to those Christmas readings. And we will see you next time.